buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 53. Today we're going to chat with Ryan Kleckner, make a prank call about which fruit is best for training, and talk about 224 Valkyrie. Today's panel is Sean Heron and I'm Ava Flav. At some point today, do I actually get to go outside or do I have to just spend it all day working and recording and shipping? And Yeah, I mean, that's what Mondays are, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Now, now I start to understand why people hate Mondays. Yep. Yeah. I don't At know. least you're not in a cubicle, though. That That is... I mean, I'm kind of, well, no, I guess not. Yeah, it could be. I mean, just think it could be so much worse. And Plus, hello, you have a job, which some people can't say that they have. And my office is full of AR-15s. Yeah. So what are you complaining Nothing, about? Nothing, actually. Speaking of AR-15s. Speaking of AR-15s. Manicore look, Arms, they make some pretty cool AR-15 products. They absolutely do. But I actually want to talk about the Scorpion Evo. All right. So let's talk about it. All right. So my friend just recently bought one. And first thing I told him is, hey, check out Manicore Arms because they make so many products for the Scorpion Evo. Because, you know, like right out of the box, like it's a cool gun, but there's just so many there's so many features that could be improved with Manicore Arms accessories. Yeah, totally agree. So Scorpion Evo is awesome. But I think over there, and I've asked a bunch of people this, they actually test things wearing gloves. That's like generally over where they make those, they they test with gloves. So when they came over here, like the safety kind of digs into your hand and there's all kinds of other edges and things that I don't like. Manicore Arms sees that. They come out with comfort products. They kind of make the guns that you have better. And that's exactly what they did with the Evo. Yeah. They have like the stocks and the braces, safety levers, four engine rails, charging handles. So all kinds of stuff that you can upgrade your, your CZ with so yep definitely and you don't have to pay full, full price for any of it there is a coupon code what is it gunfunny15 and that gets you 15 percent off totally so go buy stuff support the companies that support us well, let's get to our guest learn the things you never knew on deconstructing the industry Ryan, what's going on? Yo, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me on your show. Of course. It was it was kind of tough to track you down, but we're happy that you... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> You're such a busy man. I am. Yeah, <laughs> he's taking naps and... He's moving and shaking. I actually, when I was, when Sean and I were talking about you a few days ago, I was thinking to myself, like, how do you have time to do as much as you're doing because you're kind of all over the place and you're dabbling in. I think that actually has a negative connotation. He's more like he's got his paintbrush in many different paints. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> yes. really positive. Well, first off, Sean, I'm glad that you're over the fact Ava keeps bringing me up and talking about me so much to you. Well, the other day that conversation actually went like, oh, hey, uh, should we get Kleckner on the show? And I was all, Why? No, I was like this. I was like, Kleckner is so cool. I was like, and he's doing this and that. And Sean's like, shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! And I was like, oh my God, Sean. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so Ryan, how do you keep it all square these days? I don't. I don't. I try. Uh, the, the biggest problem with being so busy is feeling like I'm failing in every area. And that's not like boohoo me. It's, uh, it's true. I, I do a lot of things because I like to do things. And part of doing things is finishing them and getting them done and, and moving on to the next thing. And when I have so many plates spinning, inevitably, I'm always going to feel like I'm failing at one area. 
So I try to dive and, and correct that area and put all my focus over there. Then it happens in another area. So I love it. I keep doing this to myself. Even when I simplify my life, I always pick on more and more projects. But that's just one of those things that I guess you're going to have to get used to doing this much. Yeah, totally. Totally understand. Well, for people who may not be familiar with you, which I would be surprised if there's anyone out there that isn't at this point, tell us your firearm story. Like, how did you get into it? What did you do as a career initially that uh, involved firearms? And kind of how did you get to where you are now? Okay. Uh, I grew up in a firearms-friendly family. I mean, we used to go shooting and hunting when I was young. I, I still remember some of my first you know, gun safety lessons. I actually, I think the first firearm I learned to shoot on was a Remington Nylon 77, one of those little half plastic 22s. Yep. And, um, yeah, it was actually spent a lot of time bow hunting, but I had to rifle hunt when I was too young to pull back a strong enough bow and just have always been around guns. And on a whim, you'll, you'll notice there's a trend in this story here. There's a lot of things I just kind of do on a whim because I'm looking for a challenger to keep busy on a whim. I shortly after high school, a little bit into college, I joined the military and I had never expected to do it before. I wasn't really the prime candidate for it, but I just went and did it. And out of nowhere, I took off and said, well, I'll take a ranger contract. I don't know much about what they are, but I'll take this deal where you get a chance to try out to make it to a ranger battalion. And if you fail, which most people do, you kind of go needs of the army. So it was a very risky contract for me to take. Oh, wow. And went into the army and basic and airborne school. Then I went to what at the time was called RIP, the Ranger Indoctrination Program, where they try and get you to quit and not make it in. And then you make it to Ranger Battalion and your first year is pretty miserable. Awesome, but miserable because you're still the new guy. You don't know what you're doing yet. And I just met a lot of amazing people. I went to a lot of amazing schools, a lot of amazing experiences. And I'm honest about this in that I had to fight extra hard every day to be mediocre. And that was a really weird feeling, right? Because to be an average special operations soldier is still a lot. It's to be very, very, I could be very, very proud of that, but it was weird to have to do that. And that was one of the things they tried to do to get you to quit and rip is they would talk to you and say, why would you go to a place you're going to try so hard to be in the middle? Just quit and go somewhere else and be the stud. So anyway, I was in Ranger Battalion, had an amazing time, went over to the sniper section and became a professional sniper, I guess is really what it's called. Deployed to Afghanistan a couple times as a sniper, then as a sniper team leader or as a spotter. And then right about the time Iraq was getting up, I said, you know what? I've had fun, y'all. I'm going to leave while the party was still fun. I'm going to go back to college. So I went back to college, went to law school, and then started working more in the firearms industry. I taught at a government contracted sniper school in Arizona for years, a bunch of military and police snipers. And then I uh, started working for the Trade Association for the Firearms Industry in law school, the NSSF. And then went over to Remington and ended up holding a bunch of different jobs at Remington for a few years and traveling like crazy and ended up being a vice president of Remington Outdoor Company. And uh, the stress of that was way too much. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go be a lawyer on my own and maybe write a book. And I took a couple months and wrote a book and honestly thought maybe my mom and my best friend would buy a copy. And I'm very pleased to say it exploded more than I ever expected and thought, you know, Maybe this media thing is kind of fun. It's a lot nicer than having to be a lawyer. So now I write articles and books and I do podcasts and all sorts of things. And it's freed me up to start what I'm doing right now. I'm calling you from the office of as I'm started a software company to make schools safer. And that's where I'm at. Thanks. So we talked about all the different things that, things that you've worked on. You've been long range expert on Top Shot and all the other stuff that you just t- talked about. Like at, at right now, at this 
time, what is your favorite thing to work on? My favorite thing is Mayday, for sure. It's, that's the software company I'm doing. And it takes, you can tell what my favorite thing to do is by looking how many hours a day I do it. So I'm working all day and all night working on Mayday safety to get that fixed. And knowing me, I'll probably have a big push for another six months or a year on this. <laughs> I want to move on to my next project. But Tell us. I, I don't get to shoot as much as I want to anymore now. It's kind of sad. Yeah, well, join the club. <laughs> Tell us about Mayday. Okay. Um, Mayday Safety is a two-part system to try and make any organization safer, but we're focusing on schools now. The first part of the system is it's a free app. Uh, it is out there right now on iTunes for iPhones, and tonight or tomorrow morning at the latest, it'll be out for the world for Android devices. So anyone in the world for free can download this app and have themselves and their family safer. No money, no advertisements, no anything. Just God bless you. Go make the world a safer place. Now, the other side of that, the second part is a dashboard that allows organizations to manage those users, you know, to see where they are in their facilities, to see who needs help, to communicate, and for first responders and things like that. The dashboard we're charging for, but the app is free, and we hope it makes a difference, and I hope to make some money on it, too. Very cool. So what was the what caused you to, to move in this direction? Well, I do a lot of online training, so I have various companies out there. One of them is uh, Rocket FFL, which helps people get their FFL. And I learned a lot through the online training and how to get people through this marketing. And I thought, you know, this business model is easily scalable. I can easily replicate this and keep it growing. I thought, you know what I think people need next is they need some of what you do, Sean. They need some like realistic emergency medical training or how to respond to incidents. You know, the, the receptionist at the front desk of a, of an office building is going to save more lives with the tourniquet than the AED that's on the wall. Yeah. So I thought people just need some basic stuff here. And I was talking it over with actually a neighbor of mine sitting around his fired, drinking a couple of beers, trying to solve the world's problems. Like, yeah, you could do this and that. And man, wouldn't it be great if you had an app that was able to see like at a church, for example, if a church was having a shooting that the Sunday school teachers that were multiple buildings away would get the message to lock down and somehow they could communicate back up the stream whether they were safe or not. And he looked at me and said, that's it. That's the idea. And we let it just kind of be cheap talk for the night. And it was the next day or the day after the Texas church shooting happened. And he and I texted each other, were you serious? Yeah, I was serious. Let's do this thing. So it's seven months later. We're now a full-fledged company and off and running. That's pretty awesome, man. So, I mean, you were obviously a software developer before all this started, right? <laughs> Never developed software. Up until about two weeks ago, I didn't even know what language it was in, unfortunately. <laughs> I'd ask the developers, I'm like, wait, what, what is this coded in? No, I'm, I'm running the business. Uh, my partner and I guess we, we own it half and half. Uh, but the developers know what they're doing. I don't. This is my first foray into software development. And the reason I ask that is because I think a lot of times people let, you know, fear of the unknown or, oh, hey, I don't know how to do that kind of just stop them from pursuing what they're passionate about and pursuing their dreams. Obviously, that's not the case. This is a behavior that you've talked about exhibiting kind of your whole life. You said that you joined joined the army kind of on just on a whim, but now you've started this software company. And obviously, there's a ton of stuff in software development, but you've just picked it up on the fly. Talk about a little bit about chasing your dreams and and you know why you think you've been successful doing that. Well, I think the motto that means a lot to me that relates to what you're saying is you can't steer a parked car. Right. I could sit here all day and try and figure out, man, should I go into this? Should I make an app? Should it be possible? Should I, I don't, I don't know. And which way would I go? Do I go straight or a little bit to the right? Well, 
again, sitting on a parked car, you can't make that decision. You need to actually start moving. And once you're moving, guess what? Your perspective changes. You realize as you get to see around that tree ahead or around the corner or up over the hill, you know, whether it's time to steer left or to steer right or something like that. And I'm just not afraid to fail. So I'm not afraid to start an app and a couple weeks into it go, that was a bad idea, next, and move on. But if I do that, there's a good chance it might work out and I can make these little tiny corrections as I go and I get to learn. I, I love learning. So I could either go simply read books or simply research and never act or I can learn as I go. That's what I like to do. Would you say that you have a fear of the unknown or that you're able to conquer that fear? Because I think that's what stops a lot of people from doing a lot of things. I absolutely have a fear of the unknown and I just am able to conquer it. Um, I don't know if it's a laissez-faire, like who cares attitude, or maybe that's what drives me. I actually think it's the latter because the second I get too comfortable with something or something gets too easy, that's when I want to stop and move on to something else and get the next challenge. I mean, that was law school. I never wanted to be a lawyer either. I was sitting there newly married in Phoenix and talking with my wife and saying, what do I do next? Every story I have was this one time. So I don't have any challenge in my life. What should we do? And she actually said, you ever thought about law school? I said, you know what? Let's do it. That was on a whim too. Moved across the country and went to law school. Never planned it before. And she and I work the same way that every couple of years we have to shake it up and get the next new challenge. And how often do you get to practice law? I still keep clients active. Uh, okay. There's a, many people through either Rocket FFL that'll hire off extra help, or I keep maybe five to 10 major industry players at a time uh, on retainer that I help out with. So maybe a couple hours a week, they'll be calling me with a problem I can solve or, or working with the ATF. Cool. So kind of backtracking a little bit. So tell us a little bit about Top Shot. What was it that you accomplished? Top Shot was kind of fun. I made a great friend, Colby Donaldson and I. He was just, he actually just flew into town last weekend and we got to go hang out with him in Nashville just to visit him and his family. Nice. Top Shot called and asked me to be on as the sniper expert when I was working for the NSSF because they'd seen videos I'd done with the NSSF and liked them. And my first response was, nah, I'm cool. Thanks. <laughs> and I told a couple people about it. And they're like, why would you turn that down? Like, I don't know, because I have better things to do than go for 15 minutes of fame with all that hassle. And they called me back a couple weeks later and said, you sure you don't want to do it? And I thought, ah, oh, what the heck? It'd be a great story no matter what. Because I was really leery about reality TV at the time. I didn't want to go on there and have I no idea how it was going to be edited to make me look good or bad or, or, or what, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually had a couple... Not bad, but not ideal reality TV experiences before that, which kind of soured me on it. So what the heck, I'll go out there. So flew out there, got to work with the History Channel and Colby, and it was a great, great time. It takes like a week to film a one-day episode. And then went back for the next season and met some more great friends and had a great time. But what was it? Didn't you do like a, a thousand yard shot or something? Oh, that was like separate. That was just messing around. The freestanding thousand yard with the 50? <laughs> Yeah, Colby was there, but that was out at his property. That was at his ranch in Texas. Yeah. I was, did you? I go out there every once in a while and I'll teach you know, some VIPs or some folks that want to come out and have a cool experience. They can kind of hire me out for the weekend for a group of people and we'll just have some fun. We're shooting belt fed 50 cal machine guns. We're shooting grenade launchers, a bunch of handguns. We do, we do all sorts of shooting and they were shooting the Barrett 50 cal and they were just having a heck of a time hitting the target because they're all afraid of it. And there's a big pile of brass on the ground. I said, guys, the recoil is not that bad. And even in the video, you can hear me saying, I'm not going to hit it. 
So when I did hit it, I just had to walk away pretending like I meant to. Yeah. <laughs> you got to retire the champ. You're like, that's yeah, they're what's like, up. hey, do it again. Nope. Nah, I'm bored <laughs> with that. Do something challenging. <laughs> I actually walked over to Colby in that video. You can see me walk over to Colby. I lean on the edge of like the shooting platform there because what I said is, did I really hit that? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't see through the recoil of the scope. And I'm like, all right, play it cool. Pretend like I meant to do that. <laughs> yep. When, when did you actually celebrate? Uh, I don't think I really ever did. No victory dance in the bathroom. Nothing. No, no. Sorry. Boring. I, I was just—I kind of assumed like you know Ryan would look at himself in the mirror and be like, "You're a badass bitch." Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, but it's not a victory dance. That's called my morning routine. <laughs> exactly. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it, Ryan, people like you. <sighs> so right. it's creepy. So you also recently started a few podcasts, or you haven't recently started one you've had for a little while, and the other one's fairly new, correct? That's correct. And 50 episodes of 53 episodes, 52 episodes of Gun Funny, that's a lot. Well, yeah, once a week. Congratulations. Yeah. So actually, it's been about, it's been a year now. Yeah, just that about we've a year. Had, yeah. Which 50, that's amazing how that works out. Yeah. 53 prank calls. That's the way I look at uh, it. <laughs> worst thing ever. I know. Um, <laughs> Whose idea was this anyway? Yours. It was your terrible idea. So, so tell us about your podcast. Well, I do one podcast that has no direction or real topic at all, and I've considered so many times of just stopping doing it, uh, not because it's not fun, but because I want it to be purposeful, but the feedback I get is people like the fact that I'm just kind of shooting the bull about whatever's going on for the week. I call it going ballistic. And then the other one I do, but not nearly enough, although I've done an episode lately, I got one in the can and another one kind of in the can, which I need to release, which is Trigger Words. It's on the Firearms Radio Network. And if you want to hear about law and politics and how gun rules and things like that, that's your podcast. And, and people do love uh, the podcast, uh, Trigger Words especially, I think because there's not a whole lot about it. I know uh, Kraut does some stuff with the Gun Collective where he does uh, the legal stuff. And I know people just eat that up as well. And, yeah, he does a great job. Mm -hmm. And people do love Trigger Words, like the stuff you talk about. Like I usually listen to the episodes around three times. Just because I, I listen passively to most things and I want stuff to just come in by osmosis. But it's important as people who are around firearms all the time that we understand the intricacies of the laws, the rules, and everything else that goes on. Is that what you wanted to accomplish? It is. I, I want safe gun owners and users first. And then I want educated ones second. Because getting in trouble for guns first, something you didn't understand or know. It is so sad because not only does it hurt our industry, it hurts you. You can lose your freedoms here. You have a firearm that you think a Ford pistol grip would look good on. You smack one on, and next thing you know, you're in trouble because it was a you know technically an AR-15 pistol. You kind of need to know that. Or you try to go fly with a gun somewhere, and you don't know how to check it in your baggage. That fundamentally gets in the way of enjoying firearms if you're arrested and in jail. Absolutely. What would you say are some of the biggest legal misconceptions in the firearm industry? That you can't make your own firearm. I think people are getting over that one now with all the 80% guns out there. They're realizing they actually can make their own firearm. And then some things regulating about the NFA, because the National Firearms Act is so confusing. So people don't really understand maybe how the shockwave shotguns are working or how you what you might have as an AOW versus a pistol versus things like that, because all the definitions don't apply very well anymore to the guns that we have. They They, they were not thinking of the things we have going on now. So people get themselves into trouble with uh, whether a part of a silencer is technically a silencer or a piece of brass is technically ammunition by itself. You know, so uh, 
a felon in possession of a piece of brass is actually breaking the law. So those little tiny nuances are what come up a lot. I love it. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Ryan Kleckner, and we are going to hear from our advertiser, Hackett Equipment. Uh, Ryan, do you need to get that? <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, screwing up our show. It's okay. Don't worry about it. All right. Hackett He's a equipment. sniper. He can take us out from too far away. Hackett Equipment. So, I mean, the price is awesome. Usually for a range bag, you're you're paying about at least over $100, right? Yeah, for I mean, I've got multiple range bags that were like 150 plus. Yeah, and so the largest bag that Hackett Equipment has is only a hundred dollars. Plus, you could get 10 percent off if you use the code at GunFunny. And then I also like it because there's like smaller pockets, larger pockets. So I mean, you can fit all kinds of stuff. It's not like just one huge bag where you just throw it in and then you have a hard time finding it. Like it's very well organized, and there's designated pockets for everything. Yep, they've got two models right now. They've uh, got another one coming out very soon that actually is a SBR style bag that zips out into a shooting mat. And it actually connects to the larger bag, the Big Bertha. You're just blowing my mind now. I know, uh, which I'm kind of, I'm really interested to see how it's going to connect. Yeah, uh, me too. So I can't wait and go check them out. Hackitequipment.com. And again, that coupon code is GunFunny and that gets you 10% off. All right, we are back with Ryan Kleckner. Now, Ryan, uh, did you get that phone call taken care of? Everything's all right? <laughs> I did. Part <laughs> of developing software for apps is I have multiple iPhones and multiple Android devices all across my desk nice. for work. So I look like a drug dealer, but really I'm doing a good thing here. <laughs> I love it. So we were talking about podcasts before, and we were talking about uh, – you mentioned going ballistic, how like you don't feel like it has direction. And I can tell you firsthand that people just love to feel like they're part of a discussion, whether it's hanging with friends or just you kind of shooting the breeze and talking about what interests you. People do love that. Why do you think podcast has – or why do you think podcasts have caught on so much, and why do you enjoy them? So this is a weird description, so feel free to pick on me for it. But I think podcasts are kind of the most intimate form of media consumption we have right now, meaning video, cool, great, but I have to stop what I'm doing and watch a video. And something about a video, when I see someone talking on video, it feels fake. I, I'm constantly reminded that I'm watching a video. I'm constantly reminded that there's a production going on. And with a podcast, not only can I get the media I want right away, like I don't have to listen to a radio station at a certain time, but I can go on with the rest of my life and I can actually get the information right into my ears. So it sounds like the voices are like right in my head, the good kind of voices while I'm mowing the lawn or while I'm driving a car, while I'm doing stuff like that. And I love that we kind of went backwards. You know, we've gotten all those mobile video things like that. And now podcasts have taken off because people can learn and they can get this weird bond through the voice that you can't get any other else. It's so weird. I use the, I use the term intimate. I say it's the most intimate form of marketing, the most intimate form of media that, that we have. And, uh, well, there you go. Yeah. I, I use that all the time. I love it. That's exactly uh, how I explain it. So another thing, so kind of changing the subject cause you know, podcasts, uh, I'm already bored. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you recently went on a hunting trip. Was it in I did. Africa? It was. It was in South Africa. What was, it was that like? Amazing. It was not exactly the safest conditions. Why do you say that? <laughs> I knew there were some political issues going on. I mean, I read the news and I'd been reassured, oh, no, 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 it's not really that bad. They're just, you know, hyping up, make it sound worse. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting to fly into Johannesburg 
and drive six hours north up to the Botswana border, yeah, there were quite a few hairy moments on the way up and the way back that, yeah, they were scary. They weren't hairy. They were scary moments. It was, it was very, very interesting to be a, a white tourist that really stuck out. Now, once we got there, it was amazing. Once we got there and you're out there on the farms and you're out there at the hunting camps and things like that, it was amazing. We were, everything was completely safe. It was just hiking all day, seeing all sorts of animals, getting some great hunting in and testing of some products out there. And then same thing. We went to head back to the airport and it was like, oh boy, we're not welcome here. Wow. And then, you know, even coming back now, just what last week I saw another article come out on the BBC talking about how it's open season on white people there, essentially, that the white farmers are being, you know, attacked by the locals and they're taking the land back. It's, it's crazy going on right there. I saw that. Dang. I guess I didn't even think about that. You think it's usually these touristy areas you kind of fly in and you go to the game preserve or whatever, wherever it happens to be. And then you shoot stuff and then you go back to the airport. But yeah, six hours, man, that's like six hours of what I suspect is just a lot of unpatrolled area where just about anything can happen. Yeah. So we go into the airport and then as soon as you get your guns, you have to, you had to pay an expediter to help get our guns through, you know, imported. We had to do all the permits and everything, but you're already getting the shakedown by the police there. You know, they were already trying to get bribes, already trying to get money out of you just to try and let your guns come in. And then when you're leaving the airport, everybody was staring at you. And we had to make it a couple miles to what they called the lodge house, which I called a safe house. Because by the time you got there, it was eight or nine foot concrete walls with razor wire around the top and armed guards <laughs> for you to get in so they could protect you for the night. And then you would take off in the morning so it was daylight again. And as you drive around, it was just amazing that a third of the places, any nice building, had concrete walls and razor wire and armed guards. In Johannesburg, it was insane for me to see that. Wow. Um, you know, but the people we were with, everyone was really nice, but you just had to remind yourself that it's kind of nice living in the United States. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, did, what did you hunt? I hunted, I ended up shooting a uh, wildebeest, an impala, a uh, warthog, uh, helped on the hunt. I had to get some guys with Gemsbach and Eland and kudus and all, all sorts of animals. I mean, the, the first night we got there, we got a 2,000-pound eland, which wow. was just amazing to see an animal that size. Uh, there's a great picture of me standing next to it right before we started skinning it. And the thing looks about twice as tall as me that, hanging that, up there. It was amazing. That's crazy, man. So uh, the – what do you call it? Um, the trophies. Did you Are you bringing back any trophies and did you donate the meat to local places? I know that's generally what they do. They give the meat to local villages and things like that and you basically bring back trophies. True. Now, when I first got invited, I didn't want to go. They, the same thing with Top Shot, I guess. They're like, hey, Kleckner, we're going on this African safari. You want to go? I was like, meh. No, you guys knock yourselves out. That's not my thing. I love hunting. I wish all the meat I ate came from hunting. However, I'm not a trophy hunter. So the thought of going to Africa to do some trophy hunting, just, again, I won't judge them, but that's not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they mentioned, they're like, oh, no, it's Plains Game, to which I had to say, what's Plains Game? They said, oh, it's just like what I listed. Those deer-ish, elk-ish type animals. Yeah. They're like nothing that you would see like in a kid's coloring book. <laughs> no, no <laughs> giraffes or zebras or elephants or lions or anything like that. Oh, well, okay. That sounds kind of cool. And they said, and there's this big problem where these farms have an overpopulation of all these impala and wildebeest. And they kind of are open to the idea of you coming in as like a, as a gun to take the population down for them. And the local villages and all the farmers, that's their sole source of meat is wherever you get, you can stock them up for months on meat. Okay, I'll go. 
and the locals and they came to help you clean the animals. So after you get the animal, they're they're there helping you field dress it and butcher it. They're actually taking the meat with them there. I mean, it's amazing how the families would come up and they'd be handing out meat and they'd be saying thank you and walking back. And the first night when we got there, we were talking about it. And I was trying to get some of the details of it. And they said, matter of fact, none of the farm workers, everyone's out of meat now. So if you guys want to go with the last hour of daylight and try and get something, this whole village can have some meat tonight. Dang. Like, oh, wow. well, sure. Let's go do it. And that's when we got that, the 2000 pound Eland. That's like, well, everyone's got food for a week. Yeah. That'll feed them so for a bit. Be, and then yeah. the, so basically, uh, when my friend Jeremy went and he came back, his trophies took a while to get done and get shipped and everything. It was kind of, kind of crazy expensive. Did you experience some of that as well? I did. Cause they, they kept asking me. So when I, I got my Impala there before they do anything to it, they want to know what kind of trophy you might want so they can, you know, cut it up the right way. And I was like, nah, not, don't care. Don't need a trophy. I have a couple of animal mounts on my wall from my dad or from when I was younger. That's just not my thing. And they're like, oh, well, we'll save something for you. Okay, knock yourselves out. Then I got the wildebeest, and they kept trying to talk me into it. And I heard the cost is just like square one. You're looking at a couple grand of just import fees and shipping to yeah. start before you even get to the trophy. And then you're looking at a few grand for the mounts. Yeah. Well, by the time it was all done, they had talked me into, Ryan, just get the fees taken care of to get the trophies in. And I'm just going to bring back the skulls. So just what's called a Euro mount, oh, just the skulls cool. and the horns. So I'm not really paying anything for the taxidermy. And I can still hang something up. So minimal trophies, but I, I am bringing back something. That's cool, man. All right. So uh, kind of going back to, you know, you mentioned children's books, you know, the the giraffes, the lions. You recently just wrote a children's book. What a segue. Yes, I did. I know, right? I kind of was, was like, yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, that was real good. Thank I you. dropped that and I'm like, <laughs> I wonder if she's going to pick it up. <laughs> she did. Uh, I did. I wrote a children's firearm safety book because not because I don't think that there's anything wrong with the ones that are out there. I think there's some great ones out there. I just have kids and I know that they don't like being read a book with too obvious of a message. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it's like Timmy, the air 15 talks about gun safety. Well, <laughs> the kids are going to listen to that once and they're not going to ask for it again. So I thought, you know, how about I write a book that really is a, Regular kid's book, and then it's a little corny. It was actually a little embarrassing to publish because there's lots of I love yous and you're great and all that <laughs> stuff these kids' books have. And then maybe sneak in the firearm safety at the very end. I mean, the, the title of the book still says it's for firearm safety. I don't want anyone duped into buying it. It's firearm safety is no accident. But the story to the kids is about kids making mistakes or having accidents and then being really scared they're going to get in big trouble. And then each scenario, the parent says, oh, don't worry about it. It's just an accident. We can clean up the mess or we can fix that or we can do something to overcome that. And then at the end, one of the kids goes to touch a firearm that was left out. And the grandpa really has a more severe reaction of telling him to get away. And the kid says, well, wait a minute. All the other mistakes were no big deal. What's up with this one? And the the moral of the story is that things can be replaced, but these kids can't. So stay away from guns. And there's a message to parents at the end because I'm one of those people that believes uh, true gun safety starts with the parents and not leaving guns around for kids to get to. So there's the message at the end. Wow. Nice. What age group is that? Is the book for? I'm guessing three to seven. So, I am a dad and I do have kids in that age range, but I'm kind of horrible at that. So basically Marines. Yes, 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 there's Marines. <laughs> now, are you afraid yeah. that uh, after publishing this this children's book with the I love yous and all that good stuff that you're going to get in trouble for, like, behavior unbecoming uh, a ranger? 
No, not at all. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it, it, it might hurt my cred a little bit, but that's fine. If it, if it helps kids out there and keeps the kids safe, it'll be worth it. I mean, just, I wish I could, I could charge less for the book, but I'm doing uh, printing on demand. So mm-hmm. as the order is made, the book is printed and shipped. So I'm, I make like, I think a dollar a book. So the idea is not to make money on the book that, that might get me back to making back the illustration costs. Mm-hmm. The point of this book is to get it out there. So if it keeps being so popular, I might just hire a printer to print a huge pallet of them so I can get them out there really cheap or start donating them to places. And what is the book called and where can listeners buy this book? Thank you. The best place to find it is on Amazon and it's called Firearm Safety is No Accident. It's a gun safety book for children. It has my name on it. That's the easiest way to find it. And make sure you're clicking through a Firearms Radio Network link on Amazon so they can get some love too. Nice. Love that. All right. So you did a kid's book, I think, which I think is awesome. I want to know kind of what drove that, like what drove the kids book. We've been seeing a lot more. I, I saw a story the other night that the Eddie Eagle program is like four times what it normally is right now. Uh, we saw, we've seen a couple other high profile people put out kids books and you know, kind of what, what drove that for you? Obviously Mayday safety is a huge concern. The safety of kids is a huge concern, but like what was the prime motivating factor for you to write a kid's book? My daughter coming home from kindergarten and being able to rattle off the pool safety and fire safety rules. I thought, that's great, but why aren't you talking about firearm safety? Well, of course they're not talking about firearm safety. It's a school. They're never going to talk about that there. So just like I do with everything else, I've never written a kid's book before, but there's a need for it. So why don't I go write one? Here I am. Uh, also, so when is the long range shooting handbook volume two coming out? <laughs> And to, because you, and to preface that, I want to say that every time I see you post anything on the internet, there's always a comment that says exactly that. That's true. And it's a fair comment. I, I, I take complete blame for it. So what I, I normally like to paint myself in a corner. So I'm, I like the pressure of something. So I, I love taking just a fun bet on something or making something more difficult because I usually perform better that way. I guess that goes back to the whole, I always like the challenge and something needs to be difficult. So I'll paint myself in a corner like with my first book as I was getting it done. I thought I was much further along than you really are as you keep writing it and figuring out how much more needs to be written. I said, you know what? It'll be ready in a week. So I started taking pre-orders and just spent a sleepless week getting the book knocked out because by forcing myself to do it, not only was it more fun than the challenge, but it got done. So I did the same thing with the second book. So the first book, I'd waited too long anyway, but the first book keeps selling great. Like, you know, I better get that second book out there soon. So I tell you what, I'll give myself three months to write it. it. took me two months for the first one. I'll give myself an extra month for the second one. And I put it out there and started taking some pre-orders at 50% off to try and get the excitement going with the entire purpose is to back me in a corner. So I had to get it done. And then I blinked and three months went by. So I contacted everybody. I said, Oh my gosh, it's, it's been, I'm delayed. Uh, I'm so sorry. We're going to get it done by the end of the year, which would have been six months. Well, the end of the year came and I'm starting to have way too many projects going on to get it done. And I kept making a lot of good progress, but I'm also inventing a few things in there, a few theories that I don't think have ever really been fleshed out before. So I'm really researching them and time keeps going on. And then Mayday Safety took off starting in what, November of last year, December last year. And I made the conscious decision that I have to do what I can to try and help these school shootings because there will be, I hate to say this, but it's true. There's going to be another school shooting. Yep. It's going to happen. And as a firearms industry, uh, either former executive or attorney or member, I think I owe it to people to give a better answer than gun bans won't work. Right? So I wrote a Federalist article, or which got me on a, a Tucker segment, which made a bunch of antis really upset. 
Yep. But, and I was on there and I took some cheap shots at anti-gunners because they were, they were the easy shots to take. But to criticize myself, I didn't come up with any solutions. I didn't say what will work. And I don't like it when people do that in life. And you guys probably don't either. Just saying what won't work. So I said, let's make something that will work. So I can say banning guns will do nothing. But you know what? This might help. And I decided that I had to race to get ready for the school year, which is starting right now. And so I've dedicated every waking moment practically to Mayday Safety. And I, I offered everyone a refund on the pre-orders at the end of last year because I thought it was wrong to keep their money and not finish the book. A few people took me up on it. Most people said, no, 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 keep it. We'll wait. Yeah. And then now I'm at the point where it's just been so long, it bothers me just ethically having that pre-order money mm -hmm. sitting there. So you guys will hear this now. My assistant, Jackie, you've talked to, she's actually sending out the email, I don't know, today or tomorrow. We went over a draft this morning that just tells everyone that pre-ordered it, look, I made a mistake. This is so unfair for me to keep your pre-order money. Whether you want the refund or not, you're getting it. And when the book is done, I'll send you a free copy as an apology. So it's wow. the right thing to do. It'll be unpopular. But if I had the choice to finish a second book on how to shoot better, or protect kids. I want to take the protect kids. I think you're being too hard on yourself, man. I don't think – I've literally never heard anyone actually mad about it. I think everyone just likes to give you shit about it. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I've gotten a couple mad emails, yeah. but not many. Yeah. And I, the point is if I stay ahead of it and if I am hard on myself, then that will show people I'm trying to do the right thing anyway. You know. Exactly. That's why I call myself fat all the time. I hope by, by taking that and, and turning it around on myself that no one will call me fat. Oh, I was hoping that you were just going to go on a diet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fat chance of that happening. <laughs> All right. I love it, man. So I'm actually really excited about the, the volume two. I can't wait till it comes out. I'm patient. Uh, when it, whenever you want to do it, I'm ready for it. Well, thanks, man. The new videos have been coming out. The NSSF, they have like another, I don't know, 15 or 20 that they have in queue right now. I think they're dosing them out every couple of weeks so people can check those out and people can keep tuning into podcasts to maybe learn some more in the meantime and just support Mayday. I mean, just go l look up the website, which is still being worked on because we're, we're building everything as we go and, and maybe tell someone about it or download it for yourself and check it out for your family and use it on me. Good stuff, man. All right. So thoughts on firearms industry growth right now. And I know everyone's like, Hey, we're in a big, huge slump. And you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, a lot of the stuff that comes out, a lot of the statistics that come out is based on Nick's check. Uh, we've talked before many times about and even on shows about how Nick's check isn't the perfect indicator of how the firearms retail business is doing. Yeah, but it's something to look at. Yeah, it's something to look at. But uh, I saw guns.com came out with some adjusted numbers, taking out a lot of those um, concealed carry background checks that go through monthly, quarterly, whatever it happens to be. Yep. And, and it does appear that it's down a little bit. What are your thoughts? What have you heard? Who have you talked to? All that kind of stuff. Oh, it's down. Yeah, it's definitely down. Now, a couple months ago when everyone was saying it was down, maybe call it four to six months ago, I disagreed because I still saw the industry numbers as being huge. We're still breaking records. But as of today, yeah, the industry's down. And it's not for lack of people being involved in shooting. It's because I think everybody bought the guns and ammo they were going to buy in the next five years already. You know, the sales were so good and people were so panicked. People that are into AR-15s have five of them now. Yeah. So why are they going to go buy another one, right? Definitely. I think that's the issue. All right. So uh, to piggyback off of that, what firearms industry trends are you excited about if you had to put on your prognostication helmet and you know talk about where you think may, things may go, what you're excited about in the firearms Ooh, space? I'm very excited about 3D printing. 
or maybe additive manufacturing is what it's technically, you know, officially called because mm-hmm. it's most manufacturing is cutting away. This is manufacturing that adds to, and it doesn't have to be plastic. There's metal 3D printing. I'm excited about that for the same reason our government is. So our government is starting to look at contracts now and giving preference to how many parts can be made via additive manufacturing. Because the government for the military would love to be take just a big printer overseas with a bunch of files. And if a piece breaks in the gun, print out a new replacement part, right? It just makes sense. Yeah. So I love the modularity. I love the printing capability. I love that silencer design now. People think they have silencers figured out. They don't. Even these silencer companies are kind of guessing when it comes to design and seeing if it works. I mean, there's a lot of flow models and there's a lot of engineering going on, but it's still a little bit of a dark art. And I think this 3D printing is going to allow manufacturers to get angles and curves and shapes that they could never have done, could never do with regular manufacturing. So I'm excited to see what happens there, um, especially the modularity. I think people are realizing that why have to buy so many different firearms and you can get one that you really like with one good scope maybe and you can start changing calibers between or you can start changing lengths of barrels and things like that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited about the same stuff. All right, so I've got a question that I want to ask. This is a personal situation, not personal, but it's a friend of mine. We'll call him Jim. So he was going to get a suppressor and he lives in the state of Washington. I'm not looking for legal advice, nor do I think anyone should take what you say as legal advice, but he was going to get the suppressor, can't get the suppressor. And he said it's because of the way that their possession laws are. I say that his wife just doesn't want him to have a suppressor, so he's not going to get one, but he's concerned that if he gets a suppressor (laughs) and whether he puts it on a trust or just does it through as an, as an individual, that every time he leaves the house that his wife would then be breaking the law because, because the suppressor is stored in a safe in their house that that would somehow change the possession of that NFA device to her. And I'm like, well, I mean, that would basically mean that you can't have a suppressor if you're married or cohabitating with someone or have roommates or anything in in the whole United States. I was like, if your wife doesn't want you to have one, just say that quit trying to hide behind nonsense. (laughs) So is that how the possession, like if you leave your house uh, and leave your safe and someone has access to your safe, that now they're the in possession of the NFA items. It is how it works. So the idea is, uh, it's called constructive possession, and it it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I don't agree with how it is in practice, but it's not the world's not how I like it to be necessarily. It's how it's like saying, would we agree that if I had a silencer registered to me, that I can't give it to you, Sean? Correct. Okay. So if I just set it on a table and said, you know what, I'm going to leave the house while you're here, Sean, and who knows what happens when I'm gone. You, can you see how that would be essentially the same as me giving you the silencer? Without question. Well, that's what's happening with the spouse. So the problem is when you get a silencer or an NFA firearm as an individual, you are the taxpayer that is allowed to possess that firearm. Even silencers are considered firearms. So you're the one that's allowed to possess it. Or other people can possess it as long as you're in the area or in you know reasonable control of it. So you can take somebody shooting. But me leaving and allowing my wife to have access to a silencer is the exact same as me leaving the silencer uh, in the house with you, Sean. So you can't do it. Now, are you really ever going to get in trouble for that? Is anyone ever going to push that? I doubt it. But it's definitely something that could be an add-on later. But the easy way to fix it is just get a small lockbox. Get one of those small, like, stack-on, you know, with a key pistol cabinet cases, right? Uh-huh. Or a little, get a little metal cash box with yeah. a little tiny you know, code on it. Yeah. And put your silencer in that in the safe. Then your spouse doesn't have access to the silencer. All right. Letter of the law. All right. So he was right. I will accept my lumps. I will take that because I was like, you're being ridiculous. But then I was like, well, wait, does that mean because I just read that there's 1.5 million silencers in circulation? Does that mean that 
basically everyone who has a wife or a girlfriend or a live-in friend or whatever is breaking the law? And I guess the answer is yes. No, I, my concern is who gives their wife the password or code to their safe? Yeah, I mean, the whole thing's ridiculous. There's so many levels of, of, <laughs> of nonsense there. All right. So this is definitely not legal advice, but I would tell you what, if, if a spouse were asked by the police looking at a locked safe, do you have the ability to open that? I don't know how they could prove otherwise if they said no. Right. Yeah, I agree. All right. That's, that's awesome. Now, Ryan, I like to play this game where I try to wrap up and say all the different things you're associated in and I have to take a drink for everything that I miss. So I'm going to try real hard this time. So obviously doing a lot of uh, content and videos with the NSSF, you've got the long range shooting handbook available on Amazon. You have Mayday Safety and those apps going on. And by the time this episode comes out, the Android version will be available in the Google Play Store. It's already available in iTunes. Um, let's see. You have the Kleckner rifle that you sell. Mm-hmm. You have the new children's book. You have the Going Ballistic podcast as well as Trigger Words on the Firearms Radio Network. And God, I feel like I'm about to get drunk. What am I missing? <laughs> oh no, no. I, I take it back. Uh, you've got Rocket CCW and Rocket FFL. Yeah, that's true. And all right. What else do I do with my time? I, He's my semester starting this week, I teach constitutional law at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. One drink. So, well, fire, maybe the listeners don't care about that because they can't go do it, but that, that is something that takes a lot of my time, but I absolutely love doing it. And I leave every lecture with more energy than I started because we get to debate about all the hot topics. So that's a lot of fun. And I have a family. Ah, two drinks. I totally forgot about them. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you remembering so much. And man, I love all your support. Did or if we're wrapping up, does that mean we had no time to talk about two to four Valkyrie? No, uh, we're totally it's gonna in get a, into it's it. It's in another segment that's right <laughs> after this. Yeah, we're not oh, okay. we're not letting you go so easily. This is just the interview part, and then we're gonna debate about two to four Valkyrie. Um so there is one place Great. that everyone can go to find all the different stuff you're up to, right? And what is that? Then go to RyanCollector.com would be the easiest place, or just Google my name and you'll see enough stuff there. All right. Good stuff. So you're going to stick with us for a few, right? Please. All right. Awesome. We are going to move and talk about our friends over at Matador Arms. Matador Arms. So recently, well, we were cleaning out your office and we found one of the Matador Arms, the 1022 Express Release. Yeah. I don't have a 1022, but you do. I do. And actually, I'm just getting ready to replace the receiver on it with the Brownells receiver. So this actually comes in handy because the release I have on there is the stock one and it kind of sucks. So it's just a bigger paddle and it's, it's one of those products that kind of makes the guns that you have better. Mm-hmm. Additive manufacturing, as it, as it were. And what is retail on that? What are they selling it for uh, on the website? $44.99 on the website. It, it is uh, machined aluminum. And I think it's, this is the kind of product that I kind of like. It's a, it's a way that you can take the gun you already own, make it better, make it more usable and more effective for yourself. Absolutely. And if you use the code gunfunny10, you get 10% off and that's at matadorarms.com. They also sponsor our prank call segment, which we are going to now. It's time for prank calls with Malcolm and Gertrude. Uh, yes, hello. My name is Malcolm, and I was just wondering uh, what kind of training y'all do there. What kind of what? Training y'all do there. Um, about every type of training there is. 
What are you looking for? I'm looking for some tactical training. Some people say I'm too old for it, but uh, I want to do some tactical. And then I also wanted to get some advice, like when I'm out at the range doing my own tactical training, like what fruit would best represent a target so that I can get realistic training? I don't know that there is. There's no, Um, there's no melon or something that would represent, well, I guess someone's melon. No, that's not the type of training we would recommend. Um, If you're looking for tactical training, we have 32 different courses that we offer. Um, Everything's based on defensive, um, personal defensive shooting, um, pistol, shotgun, and rifle. And it's all done based on building blocks. Gotcha. You can go through the website. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, but I mean, there's no fruit involved in any of these at all. Like what kind of targets do you use for the tactics? Um, We have a large variety of targets. We have robotic targets, paper targets, plastic targets, 3D targets, steel targets. And we have force on force training where it's actual human versus human with airsoft pistols. Uh, very interesting. I, I've been out. Like I've been using coconuts, but I just don't think they're great because they're kind of expensive. And when you draw a face on them, they're not working too good. Um, all right. Well. Uh, all right. And just to fully clarify, no fruit training of any kind, just like robots and things like that. Yeah. Okay. That sounds. Realist. That sounds great. I mean, that's what I'm trying to find out because, like, obviously, I can't afford a robot, but I can't afford a watermelon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you expect to be attacked by a watermelon, then go for it. Um, yeah, I played we found that, most of our watermelons to be friendly. I played in, that in game, Fruit Ninja, and I mean, uh, no one expects to be attacked by watermelons, but it does happen. Yeah, yeah, occasionally they uh, go wild. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> well, these prank calls are getting more and more ridiculous every single time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about polymer eighty. All right. I actually I do know that Ryan has something to say about this. All right, Ryan. So you actually uh, have a Palmer 80 that you like a lot, right? Tell us about it. Oh, I do. I actually love the thing. I was so excited when we were talking about it. I was like, oh, a sponsor. That not only do I like the sponsors that are on shows, of course I do. But this one, I actually, no joke, my own money, bought everything from Brownells, like the entire gun. I call it a Mach 19 because it doesn't have a single Glock part in it. Oh, nice. I went out of my way for every pin, even the channel liner for the striker. Everything I went non-Glock on purpose. Even the magazine is a Magpul magazine. So yeah, I have a Mach 19 with a Polymer 80 lower, and I love it. I actually finished mine with a hand file. It was so easy to put in the jig. Just took a hand file to take the rails down, nice and clean. Uh, I actually used a power drill to drill my, what, three holes, mm-hmm. and it hasn't had a hiccup yet. It's kind of cool that there's so many aftermarket parts for a platform that you could assemble all those aftermarket parts together and make a completely functional firearm. And something about the plastic and the Polymer 80, I like better than the factory Glock plastic. It doesn't have that kind of oily, slippery feeling like a Glock does. Mm-hmm. The shape of the grip, everything about it, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. So even the channel liner, because, I mean, those channel liners are literally, the Glock ones are 5 bucks. So who makes another channel liner and how much did it cost? Lone Wolf makes a white one. Uh. So it's a white plastic channel liner. Uh, I actually do a whole breakdown. Uh, if you Google it, you can look at I did an entire chart showing every single piece I used and the price and a link right to Brownell. So the, the, the Mach 19 came in one box straight to my door. Now I could do that anyway because I have an FFL, but it wasn't as an FFL. It was just straight to my door and built it and had it up and running and thought there is no way this thing is actually going to work. And like I said, I've, I've had it out there and 
I even put an RMR on it, a Brownells slide. I put an RMR from Brownells all in the same box on it. And it's just been a blast to shoot. So I'm a big fan of the Polymer 80 guns. So awesome. They're like the new Pokemon. They've got all the different textures and they've got like a Brownells texture that you can only get from Brownells and they've got different colors everywhere. And yeah. And Brownells, Brownells always has some awesome sales on their, on their stuff. Like you can buy the frame and the slide for much less than you can that I've seen anywhere else. So I can't go. Their slide, their slide with front cocking serrations and cut for an RMR was cheaper than I could get a regular slide milled for an RMR. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I know. That I actually was just pointing that <laughs> out to Sean mind. the other day because I always get like the emails and stuff. And Now, all and said and done, by doing the entire gun, I used a silencer co threaded barrel because I wanted to shoot it suppressed. All done, I was a little bit more than a factory Glock cost, but not much more. Really? Because yep. everything that we've done, it's definitely more expensive than just buying a Glock. But what's nice yep. is you can, I mean, you can pick and choose all of your parts. And in my opinion, when you're done, it shoots so much better. There's I also, agree. There's also some interesting parts. I just saw that like Nelson Precision Manufacturing literally just made the um, takedown lever thing out of titanium. Yeah. Yeah. So. And and I think their uh, their back plate mm-hmm. yeah. is also titanium. And I'll say this, the, the Palm Rady kind of like, we've always been able to make our own stuff in our garage for personal use. But they really kind of advanced things, and now there's like this whole cottage industry around modifying Glocks that was there because we had people like Agency and all kinds of other places. But they've really, in my opinion, driven it into the social spectrum. Yeah, I think they they missed the boat a little bit on marketing, so I hope they're listening. I think they should do more education about the 80% firearms. I mean, I know they do, and they mention to people that it's okay, but I, I can't tell you how many people I bring up or I show this gun to they go, oh, that's so cool. You made it yourself. Well, how'd you do that? Well, you mean you assembled it? I said, no, no, look, no serial number. Well, isn't that illegal? I, I, it's amazing how many people still don't understand it. And I just think that the more people understood that you could do it on your own, as long as you live in a state that allows it and you're not a prohibited person, you under federal law, you can make your own firearm. Go have some fun. Yeah. So, totally agree. All right. Check them out. Polymer80.com and let them know that you like Gun Funny on their social media and all that cool stuff. Let's uh, talk about some gear real quick and a uh, rifle caliber that, that Ryan may not be a huge fan of. Talk, discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. All right. So full disclosure, I've, I've built recently a sim built, a two two four Valkyrie rifle. You know, it, it was whatever. Ryan asked, you know, why I built it. And I was totally honest. I was like, look, it's a hipster cartridge. Everyone wants it. It's getting tons of views right now. And when I decide that I no longer like it, care for it, want it, whatever, I can just throw a new bolt and a new barrel in. Now, Ryan, you've pretty publicly not been a fan of 224 Valkyrie. Tell us why. Well, it's that not a fan is the right way to say it. That doesn't mean I'm exactly against it. Yeah. I'm just not for it because I don't understand it. I don't know. So here's the problem. The firearms industry. I get it. Has advancements and new products come out? Awesome. I love that. But they're also known for just coming out with new cartridges that do the new most whiz bang feature cool thing. And every year has a few new cartridges that outperform the previous year's cartridges. So of course you got to get it. But the problem is if you raced and adopted whatever this new amazing cartridge is, you would have a bunch of 6.8 SPC rifles that you'd have a hard time finding ammo for now. Mm-hmm or you'd have a 30 AR, or you'd have any number of cartridges that come out that don't really take off. And now if I was all about the performance, I finally have warmed up to 6.5 Creedmoor. That tells you how late I am in adopting things, how much I want to wait before I adopt it, is I'm finally 
on the 6.5 Creedmoor bandwagon this late. And I'm glad I waited this long because if I didn't, if I adopted the newest cartridge when it came out, the 260 Remington is effectively the equivalent of the 6.5 Creedmoor. They are within a rounding error, the exact same cartridge, almost identical performance, the same bullet, everything. So had I jumped on it right away, I would have had a bunch of rifles in 260 Remington, and where would I be now? I'd have to be buying a bunch of rifles in 6.5 Creedmoor. Right. I'd be out of luck. So I'm glad I didn't jump on that bandwagon. I'm glad I waited to flesh itself out. I also like having commonality in ammo. I like the idea of having ammo that can be found anywhere. So I love like the NATO cartridges. I love 223. I love 308. I love 9mm. I know I can find those cartridges anywhere in the world. I can find good deals in ammo, and I can stock up on it. I believe in having a few thousand rounds for any particular firearm you have. And every new caliber I get just makes one more permutation of the ammo I have to keep around. So I really don't like changing that much. The 224 Valkyrie, I just don't understand its purpose. Most people I hear, well, it's really awesome because it's super high velocity. My answer back is, why do you want high velocity? Yes, high velocity can be good in some areas, but it's not the end-all, be-all. It doesn't solve everything. Or the other is, yeah, you get a lot of velocity, but you have like a 26-inch barrel on an AR-15 Yes. in order to get that velocity. Of course you have good velocity. You have this barrel that's essentially touching the target. Yeah. Why do you want it? And then the other answer I get back is, yeah, but now I can shoot all that velocity out of an AR-15, which is the receiver is an inch shorter than an AR-10. So I go, wait a minute, you're going to get an inch shorter receiver just so you can add an eight-inch longer barrel? I don't know. I just don't get it. Yeah, and the the barrel is definitely – have you ever seen that that old-time picture, Ava and Ryan, of like the two guys and they've got this huge gun and it's got this long barrel, like 10 feet long and it's over some dude's shoulder? It it was like a magazine advertisement from like the 40s. Mm, I'm trying to think. I mean I probably would recognize it if I saw it. Yeah. Is it like two guys standing next to each other? Yeah, and just like one's a few feet away because the barrel of the gun's like so long. That's how I feel feel about 224 Valkyrie. It is. You can see at SHOT Show, people are taking pictures of Area 15. You're like, I bet that's in 224 Valkyrie because it's got an obnoxiously long barrel. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Ryan, the the velocity is great. (laughs) Okay. 22250 has amazing velocity too. Why aren't you as excited about that? Yeah. So for my ballistic cal- calculator for my 224 Valkyrie, it does say it's got a ballistic coefficient of uh, 0.35 and that my, that I'm run- moving at about 3000 feet per second coming out of the muzzle, which, yeah, that's fast. And it, I think some other people are like, well, AR 15 components and parts are a lot cheaper than the, the 308 pattern that stuff. That is true. And I yes. think that's a big reason because 308 everything. The LR three hundred eight AR ten stuff is is more expensive yeah. than AR fifteen, and well, and there's no commonality. Yes. People don't realize that the AR fifteen are pretty fungible in the parts that can be interchanged. Mm-hmm. AR tens there is no standard. Yeah, so a lot of people say, oh, it's a DPMS pattern, or it's not. Even that doesn't matter. You can buy all these parts online and try to assemble them, and they won't work. So mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that people like that. I think that a lot of people who did exactly what you mentioned earlier and bought all the guns they wanted, they've got 15 AR 15s now and, uh, they're just ready to change a couple things out. And this is kind of an easy way to get a lot of velocity out of the AR 15 platform just by replacing a barrel and a bolt. So I understand why people yeah, do it. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I just don't want to, why they would want to do it. It's just not for me. And I don't want to buy all that ammo. I mean, I have, it was a mistake, but I've literally had two pallets of nine mil delivered to my house before. <laughs> it was a mistake. <laughs> so three foot by three foot cube pallets, two of them of nine mil. So I like buying in bulk and yeah. I don't want to buy in bulk just to 
try a caliber that might not be around. Not to mention, two two Valkyrie or two two four Valkyrie is expensive. Although we were at the oh. store the other day and we got a hell of a deal. Yeah. So okay, we're at this gun store and we bought like I don't know a few boxes. And when they rang us up, Sean's like expecting them to say like a hundred bucks, and instead it was like thirty dollars. So he looks at the receipt and he realizes that they charged us ten ninety nine a box. Yeah. And so normally it's a dollar fifty around, and so this was like fifty cents around. But I don't know if it was like it was it was marked thirty five dollars when we per you know, box. Yeah, when we got it, when we picked up the ammo. But like when we were at the register getting ring, you know, rung up. Yeah, it was. So I immediately handed her the bag and said, "Just stay here. I'll be right back," and walked back. And uh, long story short, they don't have any more two 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 four Valkyrie. Yeah, you bought all of them. Bought it all. So that was kind of cool. But one thing that I do think about when I'm, when I'm making a, putting together a gun is the cost of ammo. Because if it is super expensive, I'm probably not going to shoot it that much. Yeah. Well, uh, and I mean, come on, Red Dawn can happen. I want availability. Exactly. Yeah. That I, I'm in the exact same. I don't have a ton of crazy calibers, although because I have so many ARs now, I started building stupid stuff like 450 Bushmaster, 458 SOCOM, and now 224 no, Those are fun. I get it. They I, mean, I have a can cannon because it's fun. I have a can I think cannon. 450 Bushmaster is awesome because why not? Yep. I get it. Totally agree. I but just think people need to accept it for what it is. It's a novelty niche caliber. It hasn't taken off yet. I mean, 6.5 Creedmoor, once SOCOM has adopted it, which they did, mm-hmm. and now that they're making belt-fed machine guns in 6.5 Creedmoor for the military, I kid you not, okay, now it's the new standard. It's going to be here to stay. I'm finally willing to go on board. Makes sense, man. We also need to talk about that Tika T3 that we were talking about the other night. What would you like to talk about it? You said that uh, we could figure out a way to get one. Oh, man. I'm making all these promises. Yeah. You already yeah. forgot even. All right, cool. No. Oh, yeah, we need to get you on it. Tika T3X, the TAC A1. It's a long name, but that's the one I used in the NSSF video. It's like a 20-minute one-shot video of how to zero a rifle. The poor cameraman's arms are about to fall off, but we did it just one continuous shot. Brand new rifle out of the box. Thing shoots lights out. I even make a mistake in there and keep the mistake in the video because I think that's a great way to learn. And everyone loves that rifle. I love that rifle. I don't think you can get a better package for the price. That's awesome. I, I, I feel like the next time I text you or something, you're going to reply, new phone, who dis? <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> I know. All right, that'll do on Gear Chat. Now it is time just to real quickly talk about reviews. So there's no iTunes reviews. What? Literally, we've read through all of them, and you guys have not left us any new ones. That is, that is, I feel like that might just be like a techno, technology mistake or something. I would hope so. Yeah. Because I know you guys are listening. We see the numbers. Yeah, we get lots of reviews, too. Yeah, we usually get a ton of reviews, but we haven't gotten any reviews in the last week. Oh, man. Um, so I don't know. So the, these came from these reviews came from Facebook. Yes. So if you haven't left, left us reviews in either iTunes or Facebook, please go do so. Will P, five stars. Didn't expect to like this as much as I do. It's interesting, funny, and they've got great interviews that I actually look forward to. And thank you, Will P. And then Bradley C says, five stars. Where does one even start? We know Ava is the brains, and why they think Sean is the beauty is beyond all rational thought. Hey. <laughs> But one thing I do know, their level of commitment to the show comes through in each episode. As hard as, as hard as it is to listen to some of the prank calls, they, they do go in full steam ahead. Regina, we need more of. They, upwards inflection, question mark. <laughs> Balthazar, he needs to be invited to more parties. Overall, great information, great guests, and a fairly decent cast. And thank you to those people who left the reviews. Ava, are we still doing giveaways for those? Yeah, of course. Let's do Will P. Okay. Perfect. 
I was going to say, I'm thinking of a number between one and two. Yeah, I don't really care about that. We're going to do, <laughs> so Will P contact us and we're going to send you guys some, we'll send you some cool stuff. Sounds good. What? Did you ever send Ryan that free stuff? No. Oh. Sorry, Ryan. Mm-hmm. What kind of What about stuff? Bradley C? He doesn't get anything? No. Tell Bradley C he can have a book for me. Oh, man. Oh, shit. Bradley we, C. We just got one up by Kleckner. I know. I told you not to have him on. He's always embarrassing this, us. That's bullshit. Always <laughs> making us look stupid. So both those guys, contact us and we'll get you your prizes. It's time to wrap this up. You can find us on gunfunny.com. Ava, where else? We'll really just go to Gunfunny and you'll find all of the links to, you know, everywhere that our show's published uh, as well as social media. We also have a store where we're selling shirts, patches, stickers, magnets, you name it. It's there. But if you would like to take one step further, Mm -hmm. you should consider becoming a Patreon. Mm -hmm. What that means is you basically, you pledge to the show, you donate a dollar, five dollars, uh, you know, whatever you feel comfortable donating. And that allows us to afford things like an editor. So recently we, we hired Kenny Ortega, who now edits our shows so that we don't sound as dumb. And I don't say um and like as much. <laughs> Someone actually listens to the show that he's edited and then meets us in person is probably like, well, Hollywood magic is real. <laughs> All right. So yeah, if you want to become a Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash gunfunny. And we're also giving away a handguard, an ATI Outdoors 15-inch handguard. You have a 1 in 50 chance of winning. So if you are a Patreon, once we reach 50 patrons, we're giving that away. But we also, we raffle off things once a month if you're a $5 Patreon. Uh, last month, we gave gave away a goat gun, one of those little mini replica firearms, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. People like. Definitely. So, And then we're always posting videos and kind of funny, like, behind-the-scene things. So, Yep. And as a Patreon level, we have a $25 level. We have Corbin Bonafide and Iraq Veteran 8888 and company. Uh, thank you to those guys for their support. We also have the king of the Patreon. So with an individual or a company, whoever the top contributor on Patreon is every month, Gets to basically tell us what to read. Doesn't matter what they say. We will read it on the show. Great for publicity for companies and just people who are epic trolls. That That's also a great opportunity. Right now, it's Adam Balzer from Charger Arms. Adam is a factory certified Cerakote applicator, dealer of silencers, SBRs, and machine guns. A side note, he's very sad that Crocs are going out of business. Man, that's so crazy. They're They're – Executives are gone. They're shut down all their manufacturing facilities. Sounds a little. Does that mean they're going out of business though? I saw that. And just because they're shutting down manufacturing doesn't mean they're not. They're shutting down all manufacturing, which I thought was kind of interesting, but I think they'll probably just buy them from China now or something. Or maybe it's just a marketing tactic like Twinkies. Twinkies were supposed to go out of business. International House of Burgers. Yeah. Don't even get me started on that bullshit. I know. So, yeah. So if you guys want to become king of the Patreon, all you have to do is outbid Adam. And I think he's pledging $53 now a month. Nice. You just have to up him by a dollar. Patreon.com slash gunfunny. Ryan Kleckner. They can find you. RyanKleckner.com. That's true. And MaydaySafety.com. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Oh, absolutely. You were an awesome guest. Thank you for... I know you have a lot going on. So thanks for fitness into your busy schedule. Exactly, man. Appreciate it. Always, of course, always a pleasure, Ryan, Ava, eh, not, not that much of a pleasure, but I guess I'm going to have to see you next week. And I, uh, do you have any profound words of wisdom before we uh, play the closing music? Me or Ryan? You. 
Yeah, so guys, I'm list- I'm looking for a new host. So, you know, if you just apply. Want to send feedback? Contact. Suggest a place to prank call? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact. If you're interested in the, oh, the host right, that'll position. do. Just move along. <laughs>